Please rise for the reading of God's Word. There will be two passages today, one from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, and then Proverbs 4, 1 through 9. Hear now God's Word. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Proverbs 4, 1 through 9. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father and give attention to no, to no understanding, for I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words, keep my commands, and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace. And thus far, the reading of God's Word and all God's people said. The Bible sets before us how things ought to be. Now, none of us, as we know, achieve this perfectly. However, we are called to strive for, to aim for, to work toward this ideal by the grace of God and to come as close as we can. God holds every man, woman, boy, and girl responsible for the things that he's called us to do. And so there is very good reason for you to listen to the preacher today. I thought about today as we're going to talk about children today, particularly obeying their parents. I thought about having all the children come up and sit here on the steps and be close. And then I thought, well, maybe I could just have each family select the worst child from their family (laughs) and have them come up. Um, And I thought, no, because next time I preach, I'm going to be preaching on... Fathers not provoking your children to wrath, and I thought it might be odd to have all the fathers come up here and sit. So I'll let you stay in your seat today. Um, So there's good reason to listen, because Christ is speaking directly to you today. And you will benefit, he says, by taking heed to his word, because his word is wisdom. And so we have these promises set before us, the The covenant household, your household, is governed by God. It's His. It belongs to Him. We should be going to Him to say, how do you want us to do this? How do you want our marriages to be? How do you want us to raise our children? And so, both parents and children have responsibilities and duties. Those who act wisely and in a mature manner will reap God's promised blessings. Those who act foolishly and who rebel against God's order will suffer miseries as promised. That's how the world works. It's not easy, but it is simple. 
Genuine prosperity and blessings come by honoring God. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The opposite of this promise is inferred, and this must not be forgotten. Rebels against God are cursed, or we might just say miserable. The fifth commandment, which is cited here in Ephesians 6, Paul is quoting from the Ten Commandments, establishes God's authority as expressed through all the institutions that God has established. Primarily, we would think about first the family and then the church and then the state. And Satan knows that if God's authority is ignored, there can only be chaos and death as a consequence. This is why this commandment is so despised. Men can, can't hit God since he's out of their reach, but they can seek to dishonor and to destroy uh, all those who are his representatives. They can try to undermine his authority here on earth. If the authority of the family, the church, and the state is undermined, then of course death and destruction prevail. And there's no shortage of that around us, right? And so every generation must struggle to preserve the sanctity of the fifth commandment. Brothers and sisters, men and women, young men and young women, boys and girls, we are joined together as the people of God to believe and to preserve this commandment. And when you rebel, children, for example, when you rebel against your parents or any other authority that God has placed over you, when you dishonor them by not honoring them, God will chasten you, sometimes quite severely. When you joyfully submit to the Christian parents and authorities that God has placed over you, and by the way, submission is one of those things, it's easy when it's easy, but it really doesn't count for much. Submission, is when it matters, is when it's hard. When you don't like what the authority is asking you to do or telling you to do, when you resist that, then you're not honoring the authority that God has placed over you. You're saying, I think I know better than God. I think God should not have placed this authority over me. I'll take matters into my own hands. Sound familiar? Isn't that what happened in the garden? We don't want God telling us which trees we can eat from and which ones we can't. And so, we continue the rebellion. When you joyfully submit to the Christian parents and authorities God's placed over you, God will bless your life, and He will fill it with joy. Now, the family is the basic building block of society. It is the cornerstone. Children, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. This is a positive commandment that tells you that you are to hold your parents in high esteem. This honor that is to be given by children will express itself with a right heart or a right attitude, respectful behavior, joyful obedience. Again, the Bible is pretty insistent on it. It doesn't just say, for example, when you face various trials, endure it. It says, consider it all joy. 
When it says, uh, when someone curses you or insults you, it doesn't just say, well, don't, don't return the insult. It says what? Return a blessing instead. So honoring your parents doesn't mean putting your eyebrows down and stomping down the hall to go do what they told you to do. Honoring your parents means lifting your eyebrows, which is an indication of a lifted heart, and going down the hall and doing that job to be a blessing to your family, to your parents, and to God. That's what's required in the fifth commandment. Nothing less, anything less, is a form of disobedience and a lack of faith, by the way. Boys and girls, young people, young adults, when you grumble, complain, murmur, gripe about the parents that God gave you, I want you to remember this, that when you do that, God is offended. And when you act deceptively toward your parents or plot against them or sneak around them, God sees you and God is offended. If you want to demonstrate your maturity, then this is where it begins. At the very point where you're most likely to rebel. Maturity is the ability to live in terms of others, God and neighbors. And there are no closer neighbors than the family that God placed you in. And when the time comes for you to establish your own home, if you have not learned this basic lesson, then expect your marriage and your children to follow your lead. I have seen rebellious children bring more misery and sadness to themselves and their families than you can imagine. Many young people throw away a lifetime of support and joy and, uh, and um, excuse me, they've thrown, let me start over. They have thrown away the support of their parents, support of their broader families, and all of that, just tossed it out. No real appreciation and recognition all because some young person thought they knew more than, their, than the parents that God gave them. Like the movies, they followed their heart instead of doing their duty. Be sure, be sure, be confident, be absolutely certain that your sins will find you out and that you will reap what you sow. A fool sees the moment whereas wisdom can see down the road. As I was working on this sermon, I thought about a novel that I read many years ago that I just love. I've read it several times. I've actually taught through it in an economics class. It's Robinson Crusoe. Some people don't, maybe you haven't read the story, or if you have, you might not remember. Uh, There are edited versions of it out there. Don't buy those because they edit out the good stuff. At the heart of the story of Robinson Crusoe is the fact that he was rebellious against his parents. And so, in the story, Crusoe's father is introduced right away in the story, and with good reason, because like the prodigal son, Crusoe must deny his father's advice, and and he did his own thing. Or what he calls, quote, His wandering inclination. Crusoe's relationship with his father, his earthly father, can be read as an earthly version of his relationship with his spiritual father, his heavenly father. 
In the first half of the novel, Caruso consistently denied the power and the authority of God. We come to see that disobeying one's parents is not a good idea, to put it mildly, to understate it. His father warned him not to go out on the ship. Crusoe tells us this, I went on board in an evil hour, the 1st of September, 1659, boarding the same day eight years ago that I went from my father and mother at Hull, that was where he lived, in order to act the rebel to their authority and the fool to my own interest. Most of the poor decisions Crusoe makes in his life, he traces back to the initial rebellion against his parents, especially his father. And it's his father's words that come to mind when he eventually submits to the authority of God after having faced his shipwreck and having been stranded all alone. Take the following passage as an example. In this interval... The good advice of my father came to my mind. And persistently his prediction, which I mentioned at the beginning of the story, that if I did take this foolish step, God would not bless me. And I would have leisure hereafter to reflect upon having neglected his counsel when there might be none to assist in my recovery. Now, said I aloud, My dear Father's words are come to pass. God's justice has overtaken me, and I have none to help or hear me. I rejected the voice of providence, which had mercifully put me in a posture or station of life, wherein I might have been happy and easy. But I would neither see it myself nor learn to know the blessing of it from my parents." I left them to mourn over my folly. And now I am left to mourn under the consequences of it. I refused their help and assistance who would have lifted me into the world and would have made everything easy to me. And now I have difficulties to struggle with too great for even nature itself to support and no assistance, and no help, and no comfort, no advice. And then I cried out, Lord, be my help, for I am in great distress. Later in the grips of the flu, Crusoe had a dream in which a man comes down from the heavens and admonishes him for not yet repenting and tries to kill him with a spear. This is a a dream. And he begins to see that his past behaviors, especially the rejection of his parents' advice long before, have been sinful, and his miseries, his punishments, are for his rebellious behavior. And so here Caruso finally repents and utters his first prayer. Here's what he says. No one that shall ever read this account will expect that I should be able to describe the horrors of my soul at this terrible vision, referring to the dream he had. I mean that even while it was a dream, 
I even dreamed of those horrors. Nor is it any more possible to describe the impression that remained upon my mind when I awakened and found that it was but a dream. I had, alas, here's what he he learns. He, He comes to this point of crisis I had, uh, I had, alas, no divine knowledge. What I had received by the good instruction of my father was worn out by an uninterrupted series for eight years of seafaring wickedness and a constant conversation with none but such as were, like myself, wicked and profane to the last degree. I do not remember that I had, in all that time, one thought that so much as tended either to look upwards toward God or inward towards a reflection upon my own ways, but a certain stupidity of soul without desire of good or conscience of evil had entirely overwhelmed me. And I was all that the most hardened, unthinking, wicked, I was all that the most hardened, unthinking, wicked creature among our common sailors can suppose to be. Not having the least sense either of the fear of God in danger or of thankfulness to God in deliverance. And that became the turning point in his story. And God had mercy upon him. And so I think Robinson Crusoe is a great literary example and warning about the consequences of the disobedience to parents. It's very serious. It's very grave. You have, do you have any idea how blessed you've been to be given what you've been given? But now let me turn and say parents can be foolish and sinful as well. There are reciprocal responsibilities and duties between parents and children. Superiors, inferiors, and equals all must honor God, and the Bible directs the steps for each of us. Last time, last sermon on this topic, I read of the duties and sins of inferiors toward their superiors, of children toward their parents and other authorities, and so let's consider how it looks in the other direction. Paraphrasing Westminster Larger Catechism, question 126, what is the general scope of the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment teaches us about the performance of those duties which we mutually owe one another in our various relations as inferiors, superiors, or equals. Question 129, what is required of superiors? What is required of parents toward their inferiors, toward their children? It is required of superiors according to that authority they receive from God and that relation wherein they stand to love, pray for, and bless their inferiors. To instruct, counsel, and admonish them, approving, commending, and rewarding such as do well, and disapproving, Reproving and chastening such as do wrong, protecting and providing for them all the things necessary for soul and body, and by serious, wise, holy, and exemplary behavior 
to procure glory to God, honor to themselves, and so to preserve that authority which God has put upon them. It's a pretty heavy responsibility. Question 130, what are the sins of superiors? The sins of superiors are, besides the neglect of the duties required of them, an inordinate seeking of themselves, their own glory, ease, profit, or pleasure, commanding things unlawful or not in the power of inferiors to perform, counseling, encouraging, or favoring them in which is evil, dissuading, discouraging, or disapproving of them in which is good, correcting them unduly, harshly we would say, careless exposing or leaving them to wrong, temptation and danger, provoking them to wrath, or any way dishonoring themselves or lessening their authority by an unjust, indiscreet, rigorous, or remiss behavior. Our text in Proverbs says that wisdom is the principal thing. That's going to be true for parents and children. God put parents and children together Parents, these are your children and you are responsible for them. That means that you must be wise in how you train them. In order to give them wisdom, you must first have wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Not simply do as I say, but rather do as I do. Teaching and training are different things. And your sanctification is the greatest lesson your children will ever get. In this life, you're living the life that you want your children to live. Let me say that again. In this life, you are living the life that you want your children to live. No matter what you say, it's what you do. Do you want them to work Do you want them to love and worship the way you do? Parents, then you must fear God and manifest it by taking worship seriously, taking sin seriously, taking obedience seriously, loving God's people seriously, and upholding the authority of God in your homes. Parents, you must love your children and manifest it by protecting them especially from sin and temptation and the folly of their peers. Don't overindulge your children. This is not love. It will lead to their misery and their destruction. Children don't get to decide what's important for them. You do. You're the parents. Making sure that They are pleasing to God with wisdom and holiness, not not fame or fortune or success in the common sense, but only when God smiles upon them have you loved your children the way you should, including, excuse me, inculcating hearty virtues and joyfulness. You teach for joyfulness? You insist upon joyfulness? That's part of what we're called to do. And of course, they've got to see some joyfulness in you too. A lot of it. 
as I've said a million times, and maybe a million more if God keeps me here, loving them is giving them what they need, not necessarily what they want. Someday, if you do that, they'll come back and thank you. If you forget to enjoy God, enjoy the family He gave you. Enjoy life. If you forget that, then you've missed life's chief end. And that would be unwise. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Children, your turn again. These are your parents. Whatever their faults are, they are God's gift to you that you might gain wisdom. You'll even learn from their faults. One of the things, I'll tell you a little pastoral secret, one of the things I usually do with couples that I'm counseling who are engaged to be married is I say, take a look at your own family. You're about to merge two families to form a new family, two cultures coming together. And what you both ought to do is look at the families God gave you and find all the good things that have been given to you in your parents and in your family and hang on to those. You want to put those away. Be grateful that you have those habits and that instruction and those examples. But then look at your family, the family that you love and the parents that you honor, and notice the faults. Notice where they fell short. And pledge and vow and even begin today to make amend, to make amendments to what they did, to improve upon what they did, to do better than they did, to start better than they started. You know what? That's what they want you to do. They're aware of their faults and those things. They want you to do better than they did. And so that's how we make advancement generation after generation. And so it's your God-given duty to honor them as you pursue wisdom. So don't be a fool. The fear of the Lord, as we said, is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. You'll hear a fool saying this a lot. I know. I know. I know. No, you don't. Say thank you. Every time you're tempted to say I know, why don't you just say thank you? Even if you did already know. What if somebody told you something you already knew? Why don't you just say, thank you. Thank you for reminding me of that. Thank you for telling me that. That was a good thing to hear. That would be a better response. Children are likewise obligated by God to pursue wisdom. It is arrogant and foolish for any child of any age to presume that you're wiser than the Christian parents that God gave you. You'll be tempted to foolishly assume that you are now grown up. I don't care if you're 6 or 12 or 18 or 22. By the way, if you think you're grown up, that's one of the sure signs that you're not. True wisdom is humble. It honors God, it honors parents, and it honors authority. 1 Peter 5, 5-7, Likewise, you younger people... Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Lead, lead with humility. For God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God 
that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon Him, because He cares for you. And so a fool is unwilling to throw away their heritage for some immediate gratification, which in the end will lead to their own misery. This is the essence of immaturity. And again, the, the immature often boast of their maturity. It is, a, it is a reckless disregard of anyone but self. Other than, excuse me. It's a reckless disregard for anyone other than self. And in the end, that is self-destruction. When children disregard their parents' wisdom, it's really a form of cursing their parents. It's the opposite of a blessing, right? A curse. You say, well, I don't really curse my parents. I don't say cuss words at them. and I don't do it that way, but I just ignore them. I just have disdain for their counsel. I just roll my eyes is all I do. Well, don't minimize that. Your eyes speak too. They show what's in your heart. It's disrespectful and it brings shame, dishonor, and embarrassment to the family. When you're dis- it's a slap in the face of God too. And this is true in a t- when a two-year-old does it, and it's even more true when a 20-year-old does it. God doesn't look lightly on the person who disregards their parents. Parents who are His representatives to their children. So children, listen to me. I speak for Christ. Honor your father and your mother because, why? It pleases the Lord. Do not foolishly throw away your future. Pursue their wisdom with all your might. This is how you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we must all be growing in wisdom, parents and children. And our text tells us that this wisdom is the principal thing, the primary thing. And so I want to conclude today with the characteristics of a wise man. Again, for parents and children. First, the wise man or wise woman knows the importance of wisdom. Wisdom is not the same as IQ. I know plenty of smart people who aren't wise. Natural intelligence does not equate to wisdom. You don't have the good news is you don't have to be a genius to be wise. Wisdom is the ability to think, evaluate, to judge, determine and to act in accordance with the word of God. When you believe and obey God, you are wise. And you don't have to be a genius to do that. Knowledge and understanding merge with experience to produce wisdom. But godly wisdom goes beyond this. The Bible tells us it's a gift from God. Proverbs 2, 6 and 7, For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for who? For the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. James 3, 13-18, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. There's that humility again, right? But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly and sensual and demonic. 
just looks like wisdom, but it's not. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle and willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and, and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know what? It's not enough to know what the Bible says. The Bible says that wise men are doers of the word. Matthew 7, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, Jesus says, and does them, I'll liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended. You think you're going to have a little rain in your life? Think there's going to be a few storms come your way? Are you ready? The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Wisdom always leads us to obey. Proverbs 3, 13-15 Happy or blessed is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. So while you're out there pursuing your career, or getting your children ready to pursue their career, that ought to be about three, four, or five on the list. There are a, whole, there are a number of things that should be ahead of that. God will take care of the career if you're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He'll take care of that. So while you're choosing schools and while you're deciding what to read and who your friends are and all the things that go into the decisions you're making now that have, a, have, have something to do with the trajectory of your life, wisdom. For wisdom is better than rubies. Proverbs 8.11 and all the things one may desire cannot compare with her. So listen to a few of the things wisdom does for you. Security. I'm just going to read some Proverbs here. But whoever listens to me, that is wisdom, will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Protection. Proverbs 3 21 through 23, my son, let them not, that is words of wisdom, let them not depart from your eyes, keep sound wisdom and discretion, so that they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck, then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. Discernment, you're going to need some discernment, you're going to need to be able to tell the difference between this and that as you go through life, between what's good and what's evil, what's right, what's wrong, what's helpful, what's not helpful. Proverbs 2, 7-9, He who stores up sound wisdom for the upright, He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. Wisdom preserves us from evil. 
to Proverbs 2.12, to deliver you from the evil way, from the man who speaks perverse things. Think there are people out there who want to lie to you, who want to trick you, who want to not only take your money, but your soul? They're everywhere. And they don't wear a sign. They're sneaky. They lie to you. They fool you. And if you're not wise, and if you don't have the Word of God, and you haven't listened to your parents, and parents, you haven't imparted that wisdom, it is treacherous out there. Every day. Wisdom establishes our homes. Proverbs 24, 3-7 Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong, yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. Happiness. Anybody want any of that? Proverbs three, seventeen through eighteen. Wisdom. Her ways are are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. And then finally, life and favor. Proverbs eight. For whoever finds me, wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. You going to need some favor from the Lord? Yes, you are. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. That's what, in the story of Robinson Crusoe, what he discovered. So, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, and it pleases the Lord, and you will live long on the earth. Parents, in order to impart that wisdom, you have to have it. So let us renew together our commitment as God's people to love one another, to walk together, to go home, to make whatever changes we need to make again, and it won't be the last time you have to do that, Because your family is changing all the time, right? Your children are getting older. You have new challenges, new problems, new stresses. Okay, so it never lets up. That's the bad news, okay? It never lets up in terms of the overall direction. Life is stressful. The difference is whether you have the tools you need to deal with that or not. And if you haven't done what God says to do, then like that, that storm that descends, the house is going to fall. But if you've done what God says to do, the house will stand. Let's pray. Father, we have all been disobedient children, and we are thankful for your long-suffering with us and your grace and mercy toward us. We thank you for chastening us when we need it and for comforting us in our sorrow. Help us, Father, not to be foolish children, but to be wise as we move forward. I pray today for parents to first be obedient children toward you that they might be good examples to their children. May we be ready to turn from those ways which are not your ways and to eagerly imitate you in all things. And for the children who are still under the immediate care of their parents, younger and older children, may they truly honor their fathers and mothers with their attitudes and words and behavior, yielding cheerful obedience. And may they know the blessings in their lives that come from 
you for those who are faithful to render this honor that is due. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written... Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's works, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. A paraphrase of the first part of this passage says that we are to begin by getting our thinking in order. Gird up your mind. To be serious about it be sober, and to build our lives completely on the grace of God, in the light of the grace of God. We do this, it says, because we are obedient children who don't live the way unbelievers live, but rather have been set apart or made holy by God, and therefore our conduct should look very different than theirs. In other words, he says, we act like our Heavenly Father. So we come now to our Father's table, a table that He has prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. At this family table, God's children have gathered, and we've gathered together to receive from His hand the bread of life and the cup, which is the new covenant of the the blood of His Son. This is serious business And it is not to be taken lightly, but it is to be taken joyfully. Don't come if you're not his child, but if you are his child, come with thankful, joyful, a a thankful, joyful, and submissive heart that is not only ready to receive nourishment, but also eager to believe and to obey him. Our Heavenly Father, we offer up our united praise at the footstool of your divine majesty. We thank you that you preserved us during the night and raised us up again to see the light of another morning. And now that we are about to return again to our ordinary duties of life, after a day spent in your more immediate worship and service, enable us to go forth with an earnest desire to live under the influence of your heavenly grace. May it be a blessing to us and to those around us that we have spent a day in corporate communion with you and your people. 
May our minds continue on the things above, and may we fulfill our duties in our various positions with fidelity. As little children, we have all come to your table, Father, and as we have renewed covenant with you, may we serve in this coming week with humility and reliance, laying aside all envy, covetousness, jealousy, and sinful competitiveness, knowing that we are supplied by the riches of your grace in Christ Jesus, that we have been completely forgiven and cleansed, that we start anew. Help us now to live in harmony with one another, being slow to judge and quick to forgive, even as Christ, uh, even as in Christ we are forgiven. Bless now our feast and our rest and our fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Amen.